so I'm married to Rachel. Um, my name is Thomas, and we have three children: Theo, who is six; Barnabas, who goes by Nabby. That's short for Barnaby. It just it stuck with him as a kid and uh, as a baby, and he hasn't lost that nickname yet. And uh, Lavella, who is ten months old. Um, and while we're on the subject of family, we also have Johnny and Lois Hall. Are you in the room? Give us a wave. No, they're looking after their kids. They've got Thaddy and Olive. Oh, there's Johnny. Um, so my brother-in-law and sister-in-law and uh, nephew and niece. And of course, special guest, um, Gigi, Elizabeth Glover, who's my mother-in-law. Give us a wave. Um, <laughs> I share all this because I know some of you will recognise us, um, but maybe not really know who we are, and there's a good reason for that. It's because for the past seven years we've been living in Asia, yeah, and we've only sort of um, come back to the UK for brief spells or to have babies, and then we've disappeared again, and it's a bit confusing. Um, there's a photo coming up. There we go. There's a picture of us in Hanoi, in Vietnam, which is where we've just come from. I say us, the Green family are in the photo as well. You'll recognise them, well, most of you, because Clayton led worship yep. here at Servants Church for many years. Um, and they moved to um, Hanoi. Um, you may notice in this photo that our daughter is missing. It was taken before she was before she was born, but it's okay. Thanks to modern technology. <laughs> she can make a, a flying appearance there, and that's just about the right size, I think. So that's Lavella. And that's in Hanoi, in, in Vietnam. Um, as a family, we've only just moved back about a couple of months ago, and we are now back in the UK, and we, you'll see a lot more of us here at Servants uh, Church. I've um, lived over half my life in Asia. I was, uh, as a kid, I grew up in Pakistan because my parents were missionaries there. And then I, after university I went to China and then came back. <laughs> and um, then we moved to Thailand in 2012 and then Vietnam in 2017. Um, Rach and I met in Shanghai. So when I say I met my wife in China, I mean they assume I've, uh, I've married a Chinese woman, but I haven't. I mean, Rachel's blonde haired, green eyes. You can't, can't get further away from Chinese looking, really. Um, we came to Servants Church in 2010 with the Maggios. Where are the Maggios? There we go. Um, and um, so we've been around for a long time. And I remember the first time we came to Servants Church, we were greeted at the door by Frankie. Frankie, give us a wave. And it was like he was greeting a long-lost brother. It was so warm and so friendly. And arguably, you know, I'm still standing here today because of Frankie's welcome. So let me encourage you. I know being British, we can be a little bit reserved. I'm as guilty as anyone. But a warm welcome at the door, if it's your first time at church, especially... Even as Christians, if you've grown up in the church, going to a new church can be incredibly intimidating. So imagine if you're not a Christian. So I really encourage you to be very welcoming um, uh, to people at, at the door. And apologies if I come up to you and I think you're new, but you've actually been here for five years. Because I've been away for seven years, and, but hopefully we'll, we'll get to know each other soon. 
Um, Rachel and I started the student ministry here. Um, so have we got any international students, especially here this morning? Good. Any, any UK students, of course? Yeah, well done. Um, it was a very simple start. We just used to meet before the service and we used to have uh, coffee and donuts and, and we'd fellowship and that was a really um, good time. Do we have any international students from China? Ni hao. Ni hao. Good. Any from Thailand? So I'm just trying to show off my languages here. Okay. <laughs> Pretend there is a Wadi Cup. Okay. Guys, bring some ties along with you next time. Um, any from Vietnam? No, okay, Xin Chao, if you, just in case you've been there, and try and get some Vietnamese along as well. So it's been almost 10 years that uh, Rach and I have been, in some way or another, at least associated with Servants Church. Um, and I think it's important for you to know that 10 years ago, John didn't have any hair back then either. So you don't have yourselves to blame. <laughs> Okay, it's, he's, he's had a tough life before, before then. California. John um, asked me to share about God's heart for the orphan. And I'm, I'm going to do that. And it's a subject that's been close to my own heart through my work and of course my family, and extended family, um, with Care for Children for the past 16 years. And uh, John has had a theme running, I think, through his teaching for a while now, and that is to turn com- conviction into culture. He wants to see evidence that through our discipling of one another, what we receive here in church is being put into action, if you like. Um, and so I also asked if I could go just a little bit further, because I really uh, want to share and talk further about the vision and mission behind why I've been doing this work, how we go about it, and how I believe through it a whole nation can be changed. I'm going to put a quick disclaimer out there now. I might get a bit emotional at points. It just creeps up on me. It's the nature of the work we're talking about. Um, And I can't control it. It just sort of happens. (laughs) And... If you're okay with it, I'm okay with it, we'll just muddle through. Is that alright? Okay, good. The reality is though, we are discussing what I think is quite a profound and deep spiritual reality. That we were all orphans before we were adopted into God's family. And there's a lot of life for each of us that went... You know, and our testimonies that can be shared that, that maybe preceded that adoption. And it could stir up a lot of emotions. So you might start crying as well. And if you start crying, you might set me off. So just, you know, <laughs> hide your face or something. Come on. Anyway, let's see how we go. We've got a lot to get through, actually. Um, unlike John's hairbrush. <laughs> I'm sorry, it's too easy, isn't it? Especially with him in America. So, what are we looking at? Um, I'm just going to give you a quick introduction to Care for Children's work. Um, Because I think it's important that you understand the context from from where I'm coming from. So, I just want to introduce Care for Children quickly to you. The problem that we're looking at is uh, we have 71 million orphans, uh, orphan and vulnerable children living in Asia. And this is a fairly accepted statistic. 
um, through major child welfare organizations around the world. And millions of these children live in orphanages. And the fact is the millions of children in orphanages and other forms of residential care are among the most vulnerable in the world. But what's the first thing you think of when you see this word orphan? If, if you're British, war, you might think Charles Dickens. That's fair enough. Um, but Care for Children's on a bit of a mission and we're trying to change some of this initial perception that you may have. What about toys? You might think, okay, maybe we can donate toys, send them overseas to an orphanage because they need toys. But I would say no, that's not the first thing. It's not the first thing that we should be thinking about. Time, maybe you want to volunteer, like Simon mentioned, he briefly considered going to an orphanage and volunteering and helping overseas. I understand that, that interest, but I would say it's not the most important thing that we need to offer. What about education? It's important, but again, not the most important. Food, important, but there's something else. The first thing I think that we need to think when we see the word orphan or see the issue regarding orphans, we need to think family. Because what's interesting about family is all these issues come with it and everything else as well. When you place a child into a family, you give it everything it, it needs because the parents become that child's greatest advocate. Now, Care for Children was started in 1998, and we work with governments to move children out of orphanages and into local families. Effectively, it's, it's starting or implementing a foster care project where there isn't one. And to understand our, our work, I think it's really important to know that Robert Glover, who is my father-in-law, okay? I'll just put it out there. I married my boss's daughter. All right. Um, he was a social worker in the UK before starting Care for Children. And that's important because in the 70s and 80s, when he was a residential care worker, the UK was going through its own transition of moving away from um, institutional care, residential care, and moving towards family-based care in the 70s and 80s. And their story of how they went to China to start this work in 1998 is a remarkable one. You can talk to Liz afterwards. I, I call it a Jonah story. If they didn't go to China, God would have sent some kind of big animal to eat them up and spit them out on the other side. It was that, it was that remarkable of how God called them. But when Robert went to China and he visited orphanages for the first time, which can be a difficult experience because you see the children and you see the need that they're in, he didn't just, it, it didn't stop there. When you go to an orphanage sometimes, you see the children and your first reaction, your knee-jerk reaction is just, to, you, you say, give the children to me. I'll look after them. And, and, and that happens sometimes. And, and what happens is, very well-meaning people end up starting up their own little orphanage and, and children get added to it. But see, what Robert saw, because he was an experienced residential care worker himself, who, during the process of the change in the UK, transitioned to foster care and became a foster care worker him, himself, he could see that the staff in the orphanage were also struggling and they were also in need. And he 
quickly recognize that if you could give them a sense of hope for the future, then you're going to have a much more long-lasting, far-reaching solution if you can train those staff to be able to move children out of the orphanage and place them into families. And some people say, well, why foster care? Why not adoption? Well, if you're going into a country that has no alternative to institutional care, if you suddenly put a whole load of children into adoptive families, which is actually what happened in the UK when we started this work, especially after World War II, and you don't have the skills in, in the community to, to work with the families and, and support them, what can happen is you could end up putting children into even worse situations. Uh, or there can be a lot of breakdown because the parents aren't equipped, they don't feel supported in, in how to look after these children. So with foster care, the, the difference between foster care and, and adoption is that with foster care, the government has the legal guardianship of the child. And so therefore they have this responsibility to make sure that the children are well and developing well in these families. So they have to train up people who can go and, and meet the families. Uh, I'm sure some of you are familiar with the foster care process in the UK. And then adoption at a later date can be implemented because you have the skills in the community. Um, Robert and Liz moved to China in 1998 to start the work and they had six of their own children. And it was quite funny because they were going to advise a government which had a one-child policy <laughs> as, a child, as a child expert. And, and he had, they had six children of their own. But if you can learn anything from that, if God's called you to do something, nothing can get in the way. Um, and, and Liz will, have a, uh, will be able to share a little bit about, about that and their story. This is a really interesting image um, for me um, because it represents something quite significant about the world that we live in. More people live inside of this circle than outside of it. Yeah. And this is where we're working. Um, we've got China, uh, Thailand and Vietnam. It's, it's, a, it's a part of the world that's growing very quickly. The economy, social development, it's a very intense part of the world. And so if, you're going, if, if a government is going to make decisions about how to help people, it needs to make the right decisions because if you make a wrong decision, it's going to affect a lot of people very quickly. And it, it's quite hard to unwind from that. So I believe that God has put us in this part of the world for this time, intentionally. About 15 years ago, I was on my first visit back to England, having moved to China. And I was able to squeeze in a visit to my auntie. And she asked if uh, that weekend I could come along to her church and share something a little bit about care for children. So I said, that's fine. And we got to the church. But I was, uh, I was aware that actually, how am I going to make this work? These guys don't know me. I don't really know them. It might feel a bit disjointed. So I prayed. And I said, God, give me the words to say so it can fit into the service. And to begin the evening, the pastor got up and he started to, uh, reading the whole of Luke chapter 1. 
And when he got uh, to verse 16, I knew immediately how God wanted me to, to share about our work. And I've got the scripture up here, and just to give you some of the context, I'm going to read from verse 13. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. And you shall call his name John, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. And the disobedient of the wisdom of the just, to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Just keep your eye on that highlighted bit there, because that's what jumped out at me. Now some of your translations may um, swap uh, fathers for for parents, I think the NIV does that. Um, But a lot of the translations that are made an effort to be more literal and closer to the original language use the word fathers. So New King James, the ESV, even the NLT uses the word fathers, and I think that's significant. I think it's important. You'll see it's a recurring theme. So, so in this moment when the verse was shared, I could see this interesting similarity between what God had called the Glovers to do in China with care for children and this prophetic vision given to Zechariah about his son, John the Baptist. The Glovers went to China in the spirit and power of Elijah on a mission to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. To introduce this act of God's justice into an atheist political landscape and culture. And by so doing, actually join in a much bigger picture that God had for the nation, which was to make ready for the Lord a people prepared to receive the gospel. So that's what I shared, you know, in summary. And I don't know how well that was received on the evening. But God answered my prayer in that moment, on that night. And he didn't just give me direction for that, that evening. Actually, he's given me on, he gave me ongoing direction. That's still important now because this verse has been significant to us ever since as an organisation. Especially to me as I work in the organisation. But it wasn't until some time later that I realised Luke 1 verse 17 isn't the first place this verse appears. Some of you may have already recognised it. And in fact, to my astonishment, it happens to be the very last verses of the Old Testament. Look at Malachi chapter 4 verses 5 and 6. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes and he will turn the heart of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. The last verse of the Old Testament. There's no more Bible for 400 years. What a way to sign off. 
<laughs> and you can't help reflect on the fact that concluding all the history of the Old Testament, the awesomeness of creation, the flood, the birth of Israel, Exodus, the life of David, the major and the minor prophets, it ends with this simple but incredibly important instruction and warning for fathers to turn their hearts to their children. What does it mean to turn your heart to your children? Well, in this instance, I think it means to teach them, teach them the ways of the Lord. Preserve God's law in your household so that they will grow up to be sons and daughters who do the same. Important instruction and warning for fathers to turn their hearts to their children. To invest in their safety and security. To prioritise their well-being. But you're also getting an astonishing glimpse into what the God the Father is about to reveal and do through his Son. The story of which fulfils the law and prophets of the Old Testament, shapes the entire New Testament and connects the two into a whole revelation of God himself. A God who reveals himself as our Heavenly Father, who makes it possible to be adopted into his family through the death and resurrection of his own son, Jesus Christ, who was obedient to the cross. No one knew it at the time. But what a peak <laughs> to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. And God say, I'm about to do that. This is the first photo of me in an orphanage in China. It's not the first time I'd visited one. The first time I visited one, I was a little nervous, to be honest. And I asked Rachel, who I wasn't dating at the time, um, what I should expect and how I needed to conduct myself. She just said that you need to have a lot of love. It's a lesson which kind of became my attitude for a lot of future visits. But this photo is important to me because it reminds me of a valuable lesson that I learnt. The baby that you can see lying in this cot I went over and um, I just put my hand on his chest. And he came alive like this. You could see in his eyes, his, his arms were moving. And I don't think he could, he could smile. I, think it was, I don't think he was old enough, really. But he was enjoying the touch. You could see it meant a lot to the baby. I wasn't a dad back then, but it dawned on me in that moment that this is what babies want and need all the time. They need to be in the arms of a loving parent. And I would say particularly a mother. The orphanage itself was good. It was warm, it was clean, the staff seemed professional and well-dressed and turned out. But the lesson I learned that day was, no matter how well-run or resourced an orphanage might be, it cannot replace a good home and the loving, caring, nurturing embrace of parents. And the silence of the room, because the, the baby was just lying there, and there were lots of babies in, in these little cots, but it was quiet. And it was a bit 
strange. You think you walk into a room full of babies and it would be loud and they'll be crying and demanding things. But, you know, when no one responds to a baby's cry, they'll just stay quiet. It has nothing to do with contentment or, or good behavior. And it doesn't take long before the damage is irreparable. Research has shown that for every month that a baby spends in an orphanage, they lose one month of normal development. Plenty of scientific studies have shown that institutional care dramatically restricts physical brain growth and pretty much every other kind of growth, physical, emotional, spiritual, and obviously the longer it goes on, the worse it gets. And if children go, don't get to experience the love of parents and the family before age two, in many cases, it's too late. I remember visiting an orphanage in Vietnam with Kelly in 2016. And we walked into the room, and again, there was just, uh, it wasn't as, as good condition, to be honest, as this one, but uh, there were just children of varying ages just in cots. And I went over to one and, and, and you know, just picked, picked her up. And she was about eight months old at the time, and it was, it was significant because Barnabas was eight months old at the time. And so there was a, I could, you know, I could compare. And I picked the baby up and just sort of looked at her, but she wasn't looking at me. And you could see there was just a glaze over her eyes. She, she wasn't familiar with making that kind of eye contact and that interaction. And it was just, it was a bit unnerving. And it, it, was, it was hard to see and you had to keep myself together. I was in a suit and representing Care for Children. Um, you know, but after that visit to the orphanage, I didn't need stacks of literature or academic research to tell me that that there's a problem here. I could see it. I could see it in her eyes. They were just, there was a TV in front of her and, and they would just lay her down and she sort of, the TV, oh, I don't even know if she watched the TV. I mean, how does an eight month old watch the TV? But it was just a distraction. It was just noise and colour. And, and I don't hold it against the staff. You, if you go to these places and you ask the staff in the orphanages this question, you know, how do you think the children are doing? They will say they need to be in families. Mm. They're doing the best they can. Clearly, the, the system is the problem. The point is, God created the family to care for children. This is not some sort of evolutionary conditioning, but an intentional design by God with huge significance. Children need to know they belong in a family. I believe it's one of the fundamental needs of any human being, even in adulthood, and as essential even as food and water is to our sustenance. And I also believe that the pursuit of correct family relations and structure is theologically and spiritually critical. Someone once told me that every problem in the world is rooted in a relationship problem. I mean, there's plenty of problems to watch on TV at the moment. And in a similar vein, I'm convinced that if we strip the world's problems down to their root cause, apart from our fallen state, you know, sin, they would be traced back to men, not being good husbands first and fathers second. Remember what James 1.27 tells us. Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to look after orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained by the world. 
And I believe at Care for Children we are taking this message into the very centre of a country's political system and therefore influencing its culture. By helping them prioritise family-based care for the most vulnerable children, we can have an impact on their culture to the value and the importance of fathers prioritising the well-being for the orphaned and vulnerable amongst them. And I actually believe that this is fertile ground upon which the gospel can be sown. If a society appreciates and values the importance of fatherhood, when you share about God's father heart, the fathers in that society will be more ready to understand and receive that good news. So in communist, atheist countries like China and Vietnam, Christians now have a government-endorsed opportunity to put their faith in action and care for children in their families. And church growth is taking off as a result. We have evidence of this happening in China. A missionary in South China once shared with Robert that for a number of years, you know, church growth had been really positive and then it plateaued and they didn't know what to do and they didn't know why and they were praying about it and looking into it and financing things and resourcing things, but, but nothing was happening. And then the foster care project started again, or started for the first time even. And church growth took off again. Oh, yeah. Why? Well, if you think about it, if your neighbour comes and asks you, oh, this is it, what's going on here? I haven't seen this child before. Why are you looking after this child in your family and treating it like one of your own? Well, you've got the gospel response in, in, in a one-sentence answer. You can say, well, actually, God, I believe God this, did this to me, and he's called us to do likewise. It goes to the very heart of the human condition. In Psalm 68 verses 5 and 6 we read a father to the fatherless a defender of widows is God in his holy dwelling God sets the lonely in families he leads out the prisoners with singing but the rebellious live in a, a sun scorched land another warning on the back of back of the importance of fatherhood try and find a village like this in England you know, and people say it won't work in China, or you know, China's a communist country. Who are the Chinese here? Put your hand up. Right, this is good news coming from China. China is leading the way here, folks, and it's wonderful to see how the church is responding to to this need in China. Han hao, fei chao hao. Now, when it comes to um, sharing God's about God's Father heart, we could end here. But I want you to stay with me just a little longer because as Christians, I think there is more that we need to know on the issue in order to understand the full and greater sense of mission God is calling us to. Now when I was in China, um, Robert and I were talking to a a man called Mr. Liu, he's a Chinese man, um, who works in, in quite a senior position in the Chinese government. He's also an, an advisor to Care for Children, and he's also a, a Christian. And as we were talking, he said, Robert, Thomas, 
If you want to make a kingdom impact in China, do not work with the church. And I was a bit taken aback by that. And then I thought, well, okay, maybe this is someone who has had a bad experience of church. He's a Christian, but maybe he doesn't go to church, and he's still sort of wrestling through that. But as he went on to explain, I understood what he was saying. Because actually churches are very limited at what they can do. If you think about it, let's take a single church, like Servants Church. You, I'm not on the leadership team, but I understand how difficult it is just to pull off a Sunday morning. Right? It takes a lot of people. And what about all the pastoral issues throughout the week that you need to meet? And you can maybe perhaps organise a home group study network. And if you're lucky, a kids programme. And if you're really lucky, a summer Bible camp. Right? But that is the extent of what most churches are able to organise. A church cannot run a country. And it, a church is certainly not running China. Yet from my experience on being on mission, 90% of the newsletters coming back from the field are telling supporters how much training they've been given the church. But how much can you really expect the church to do? Honestly, I think church uh, training fatigue is setting in. Instead, if you want to make an impact on a nation, you have to work with the institutions that are running that nation, namely the government. But you see, God will have his men and women in key positions who have authority to implement Christian principles into their decision-making when contributing to or developing new laws and policies. And this struck a chord with me because due to the very nature and the context of where we were working in China, and Robert had always been very clear that Care for Children was to work in partnership with and serve the government. In fact, officially Care for Children is not a Christian organisation. Sure, we have Christians in the organisation, mostly. And it was founded on a very clear calling from God. But what we offer is a professional service to governments to help them develop their child welfare systems in favour of long-term family-based care. Now you may have picked up a bit of a theme regarding what is generally known as God's three institutions. Marriage, or family, government, and church. In a post-fallen world, God has ordained these institutions to bring civil and spiritual order to life. Marriage is the first institution we find in the Bible. It is God's intention for one man and one woman to be united inseparably as one. And in Genesis 2 we read how through the unity of man and the woman, the family was established. This is God's design for marriage. And in Matthew we read that this is not to be broken. Martin Luther has written many years ago a bit of a study on exactly this theme. And he writes, oh, where are we? The home is the smallest, most intimate institution of society. 
In the home, every personal and basic, the physical, emotional and spiritual need is met in the loving environment of family. Thus, the home is established as God's very first institution for mankind. The second institution is government. Paul writes in his letter to the Romans that the government is the authority established by God under whom all are submitted. All people are to submit to their respective governments so that order and peace might prevail. Submitting to the government means that we are to pay taxes as required, pray for those in power and obey the law. This is what Martin Luther says. He says the government God established is to rule in civil affairs. It provides a safe and positive environment for the family and the church to thrive in, secure from danger and injustice, expecting only what is due in return. The institutions of government and family encompass all things and all people. And the third and final institution is God's church. The church is described as being... Um, like a building and a body made of many parts and yet one of which Jesus is the central elemental piece. This is what Martin Luther put. The church provides guidance for its members according to God's word, provides fellowship and support for its people to take on their given responsibilities and holds them accountable for their lifestyle. The church is within the other two institutions and requires both families for members and government for protection. These institutions reflect God's person. They reflect his righteousness, his justice, his care and love for his people and his sovereignty. And you're probably thinking, Thomas, we're a long way off caring for orphans at the moment. Where have you gone? What are you doing? But if we don't understand God's purposes for each of these institutions and the roles that they have been ordained to fulfil... The way we care for orphaned and vulnerable children can be disastrous. Let's just break it down a little bit. God has ordained the marriage at the top there to enact God's law. Put it into action. Agape love. It's called action love. It's the love that serves one another. It's the love that God showed us by dying on the cross and coming and resurrect, being resurrected three days later. It's action. It's doing something about the problem that you see. And we're to enact that within our family. That's where it happens in its most intimate way. A government, number two down here, has been ordained to administer God's law. Its duty is to provide legal protection, especially for the most vulnerable, and create a safe environment which families and the church can thrive in. That's the government's responsibility. And finally, the church, number three, it's been ordained, God's purpose for the church is to teach, is to teach God's law. Through teaching it can advocate for and defend the plight of the orphan, sure, but it shouldn't try and care for the orphan. Can you see the difference? That's the family's job. And the problems start when we mess this up. In fact, confusion, disorder 
and individual and societal breakdown occurs when one or all of these institutions neglects their ordained responsibility or assumes the others. If a government wants to care for children, what's it going to do? Well, it's going to open an orphanage. And it's going to employ people, it's going to put the children in there and do its best to run this place, but it's not going to meet the needs of the children, and it shouldn't because God hasn't told the government to look after children. And the same happens with the church. See, all over Thailand, churches are running orphanages. And okay, I get their heart, but they're neglecting their responsibility. They've got it wrong. They somehow missed the point that God has called the family to care for children. Now the church needs to inform, so they have a role in this, the church needs to inform the the government of God's law regarding how family should be structured and how it should be protected so that the government can create the necessary laws and protection for families to care for children. But the church shouldn't be caring for children. And like our friend Mr. Liu, God, had, God has his people in government, even in atheist communist governments. And what people like Mr. Liu needs from the church is clear teaching from God's words so that he can get to his desk on a Monday morning and when he sees an organisation like Care for Children ushering in kingdom principles into the nation that he has a responsibility for governing, he will be alert to it. He'll see it and he can make it happen. Each institution has a critical role but there needs to be clarity about what those roles are and of course the Bible has the blueprint for each. Martin Luther again. We have found many ways, don't we know it, in which to corrupt what God has established. The home has been corrupted by sexual immorality, addiction, carelessness. The church has abandoned Christ and the word, pursued power and control, discarded unity. Governments have neglected their responsibilities, abandoned justice and oppressed those they should protect. Where there is corruption in these institutions, damage is caused. Therefore we must remember Acts 5.29 where people and the apostles say we obey God rather than men. Now in the last seven years while we've been away doing this work in Asia we've seen some very troubling developments in the UK. The government has assumed authority to redefine marriage in the nation's legal system. Where was the church when that happened? We now have children being born into legally approved relationships that no longer reflect God's design for family. It's it's basic. And in some instances, this is even being endorsed and celebrated by the church. In one fell swoop, we have allowed the government, church and family to operate outside of of its God-given role because they've taken their eye off what God has ordained them to do. You see, the sense of vision and mission that drives my work with Care for Children in China, in Thailand, in Vietnam, in Cambodia, and with God's blessing, many more nations in the future, is just as relevant and important here in the UK. Do you see it? 
I want to finish something a little bit more hopeful. I want to finish with a devotional I wrote when Theo was just six months old. So Theo's our oldest, now six. Um, we'd been in Thailand for about two years at this point, um, and I'd been asked to help with a, um, uh, a, a, a football sort of coaching session. And um, um, it was actually the, really the first thing I'd done since we got back to Thailand, having had, had Theo. Um, and I was involved, and um, we had some coaches, actually an ex-professional footballer from the UK. And so I was mucking in and getting involved. And, and you know, you can imagine me on this football pitch. This is in the Chiang Mai home for boys. Okay, they had this had a big grassy area in the middle, and, and enough, big enough to play football in. And we were playing football. And I, I'm a new father at this point, so I'm, I'm I'm seeing things with slightly new eyes now. And, um, and so you can imagine us, I'm, I'm there, I'm not really playing football, I'm just trying to organise things and these kids are running around um, everywhere. And um, the church we were going to, um, every, twice a year before Easter and Christmas, encouraged the congregation to contribute to a little devotional book. And it's a great idea. Maybe we can do it at servants. You know, you need someone to organise it plenty of time in advance. They printed the book and then through Advent or leading up to, to Easter you had this devotional written by different members of the congregation and so I, I, I accepted um, and, and wrote this it's called Seeing Theo or Father's Eyes, I'm going to put it on here so you can follow along with me at six he was clearly the youngest of the group and his delicate frame could easily have passed for a four year old and as he dashed past me, chasing the football in front of him, determinedly competing against boys twice his age and size, and as a resident of the orphanage, fighting for his place in more ways than one, I suspect, I couldn't help but see Theo in him, my own precious six-month-old son. And it was an epiphany that stopped me in my tracks. That is how God sees us. Becoming a father has illuminated certain scriptures and biblical concepts for me, and this is one of them. My new role as a dad has stirred in me a new and deeper compassion for children without one. And surely the very essence of the gospel message is this, that when God the Father sees us, otherwise preoccupied and dashing past him, he sees his own perfect and beloved son, Jesus, who, through a compassion so strong and a grace so audacious, he sent to earth as a living sacrifice to make possible our adoption into his everlasting family. Do you see it? As I watched this boy without a family, so vulnerable, I saw Theo in him. And my heart went out to him in a new way. Not only did I see how vulnerable and lost he was without a mum and dad, but now with the eyes of a father, I imagined Theo in his situation. My six-year-old friend remains in the orphanage. 
doggedly waiting for an earthly father to turn to him. A thought that just about breaks my heart. I can barely bring myself to imagine Theo having to fight through his early life without me. And the same for Barnabas and Lavella. But there is hope. And I pray that I, together with all the fathers, Simon, Adam, in God's kingdom will embrace a compassion so strong and respond to a grace so audacious that we reflect our Heavenly Father's own heart and open our eyes to see the orphans among us. All right, this, is a, this is a gospel message, guys. It's not just a physical act of taking a child into your family. Of course it's that as well. It uniquely reflects God's heart in this way, more than, more than anything else, I think. But it's a gospel message. There are orphans among us who need adopting into God's family. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you've been with us here this morning. Lord, thank you that we, you have revealed yourself to us in such a remarkable way. In a way that we can know and we can relate to. And in a way that we can respond to ourselves. Lord, I pray that you will stir us up. Stir us to put these convictions into action. Lord, and that we will see the orphans among us uh, in whatever way that means that you want us to see them. In Jesus' name, Amen. If you want to know about Care for Children, more about Care for Children and support our vision and mission, you can come talk to us, you can sign up, you can become a family champion um, on our website. There are details at the back if you want to talk to David and Tanya. Simon and Tanya, sorry, um, about um, uh, Home for Good. I encourage you to, to begin that process of learning more about what they're doing. You, you've been very good. You may now go. <laughs>